Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So I welcome everybody to this brand new boxing podcast, Macklin's Take. We decided we're going to call it with Matt Macklin, who needs no introduction. Uh, but I'll introduce him anyway. We are in his mum's front room, after all. Uh, three-time world title challenger, uh, British champion, European champion, Sky Sports pundit now, of course, uh, and current active manager. Been involved in all sorts of, of roles in, uh, in boxing. And uh, myself, Andy Clark, um, who was usually to be found next to Matt, commentating for Sky and featuring on the podcast every, every now and again. And we had a chat a couple of weeks ago, Matt, and decided to, to get involved in the burgeoning boxing podcast scene. There's, there's, there's certainly a, you know a lot of them around at the moment. And um, it's just an interesting format, isn't it? I think, you know, to be able to get into things in a bit more depth. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, myself and yourself, Andy, are particularly immersed in boxing, not even away from uh, the work we do for Sky. Uh, you, you cover several MTK shows. You do um, the WSB. Uh, and even myself, I still follow the, the amateur game to a degree. I try and keep up to speed with who's who, who's winning, what's happening. And um, we, we both agreed that it would be good to do a podcast as they're getting very popular. And they're really good because you can go into so much detail and talk about uh, certain topics in boxing and probably go into probably go into a lot more detail than we can do, um, you know, when we're live on Sky and we're commentating on the live fights. It's uh, We do touch on certain subjects, but we don't get to really go into as much detail as we'd like. So, uh, yeah, we thought it'd be a good idea, didn't we? We did. And I think one thing that's worth pointing out at this stage is that we're not affiliated to to anyone we're not backed by anyone we just decided to do this ourselves so um for everybody out there um who's doing a podcast without any kind of shiny studio or all the rest of it best of luck to everybody whichever way you're doing it um we're having to learn how to do this ourselves record it ourselves and uh, pick up the kit and see how that goes which, which could be quite interesting which is why we're doing this very first one in uh, in mrs macklin's front room which is not Something I thought would happen to me when I was watching you on Sky back in the day, I must admit. But um, uh, and great thanks to Dave Rogers as well, a really good mate of mine who's helping us out in the first couple of first couple of episodes. That is much uh, much appreciated. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Good man. <laughs> so we're not going to be doing 
too much kind of straight news and, and reviews. Um, we'll be talking about fights that are coming up and we will look back at fights, obviously. But what we're looking to do really is, is get into topical issues uh, and with Matt's help, really try and explain why things end up happening in boxing, because there can be all sorts of reasons that people wouldn't necessarily realise. They couldn't be expected to realise and how things have have come to pass because unless you're on the inside of it and not just as, as an observer like me unless you're right on the inside as a as a fighter or manager or promoter there are things that happen which which um will forever remain uh, a mystery so the first thing we're gonna gonna have a chat about and it's an obvious thing to start with is the axis between the three or four top heavyweights anthony joshua deontay wilder tyson fury dillian white and just the way things are playing out, have you been surprised by what has happened over the last, say, nine months? Or was this always what you thought would happen? Um, certainly not surprised at all. Um, I thought the Wilder one was always going to be difficult. I think there's um, he's obviously a huge puncher, so there is a danger there. Anthony Joshua... He's the, num- the number one star in the heavyweight division. He's the one generating all the money. Um, he's also possibly the best. Maybe Wilder could argue that, and I think Fury certainly could argue that. Um, it's difficult. You know, when, when um, there was a while back, they called it the Cold War in America when you had HBO and you had Showtime. Things have moved on since from then. But at that, at that time, it was very difficult. If you were boxing on HBO, it was very difficult to make a fight with someone who had been with Golden Boy and that was fighting on Showtime. Um, it's not quite the same now, but you've still got Al Heyman, who's behind uh, Deontay Wilder. You've got Eddie Hearn, who obviously uh, promotes Anthony Joshua. Then you've got Frank Warren, who promotes Tyson Fury. So there's three promoters, three different television networks. You know what I mean? There's a lot of um, logistics there, a lot of everyone wants it to be on their network. Everyone wants to be the promoter and kind of control everything. So it's, uh, and everyone then feels they're worth what they feel they're worth. And uh, there's, I suppose what it comes down to and where, where Eddie is trying to push it out there is there's market value. And he's probably thinking, well, look, I'm offering you, for, for example, the Dillian White, I, you know, I think there was talk that he offered him, was it 4 million or 5 million in the end? So he, does, he turned it down. He, he feels he's worth more than that. But then, you know, Eddie's thinking, well, Gerald Miller's going to take you for X amount, probably probably less than that. So now they go over to New York, they open up to that market, you know, it, it, um, they test how well he goes down on the zone. The zone are probably, I would imagine, very happy to have it at, you know, prime time. Um, so there's a lots of, there's a lots of things going on that people just, you know, fans and people on social media don't realise, you know. Uh, of course, we all want to see Wilder, and Joshua, of course, you want to see Fury and Joshua, but these fights aren't just going to happen one after the other. I mean, a few years back, there was a lot of talk of Canelo and Golovkin fighting. I think it was probably three years from when they actually fought was when it was initially talk of him getting stripped, Canelo getting stripped if he didn't fight. Now, he was down at 154, but he was the middleweight champion, but he was contracted to fight at 155. And, of course, Golovkin ended up becoming mandatory challenger, then eventually Canelo was stripped and then he was going to fight, then he wasn't. Anyway, it was three years on. And when they did actually fight, Golovkin's split of the purse, I believe, this is on figures that were put out there. I don't know how accurate they were, but I think it was Dan Raphael 
uh, you know, he tweeted it. So I think it, this is what was lodged with the commission. I think Golovkin's purse was $20 million. Canelo's was 40 Way more than what that would have been if that fight had happened three years earlier. Almost the, the arguing and everyone having an expert opinion on social media and, you know, the discussions on ESPN, the Sports Centre and Sky Sports News and all the boxing critics and analysts and journalists and everyone debating what should happen, what shouldn't happen. It's all chatter and it all adds to it. It all blows the fight up. It's all publicises it. Even when they're not trying to publicise it, they're actually arguing about what should happen. It's still talk and it still builds it. And when the fight does happen then, it makes it a bigger fight. But of course, it's a fine line between building the fight properly and overcooking it. For example, I think most people would agree that the Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather fight, you know, was probably a couple of years past its sell-by date. Still generated an awful lot of money, but I don't think it was, uh, it had anywhere near the anticipation or excitement as what it would have had if it happened a couple of years previous. I think probably 2010 when Manny Pacquiao was really in his pump. I think everyone was calling for that fight. You know, even if it happened a year after that, a couple of years after that, I think it would have uh, generated more interest. Maybe, maybe not more money, but I think it certainly would have, um, generated a lot more genuine anticipation, genuine excitement from the fans. As you say, these you know these things do do need time to build sometimes, and and there's plenty of time to get these fights um, organised. Obviously, Fury's return to the fray has kind of has made everything a lot more interesting. Has complicated things a bit from from Joshua's and Matchroom's side, maybe, and it's been just brilliant to see him back. But what really interests me about it is that. The last two or three years, like the world's been a funny place, and without, without wishing to get too abstract or, or, or deep and meaningful about it, even in boxing, you know, things seem to have changed a little bit. There aren't many rules, but it always seemed to be the case that if you had three out of four belts in any division, that, that you were the boss then, and you could call the shots because people wanted what you'd got, and you could set those terms, um, and people would accept them. Um, but Anthony Joshua now found himself in the position where. He can't, he can't get Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury into the ring because they can fight each other instead. And then they'll think, well, Dillian White will definitely take it. And then Dillian White doesn't want it either. And Gerald Miller in America is good, like you say, because it's an American debut and all the rest of it. But if you were him, if you were Joshua, would you be just wondering, you know, what, what, what's going on? You know, I've, I've got three out of four belts and I can't get the fights I want. I think it's, um, like you say, things have changed uh, in the last couple of years, particularly... Uh, in the business end of boxing, Al Heyman announced a huge deal with Fox. Uh, Eddie announced a massive deal with the Zone. Uh, Top Rank ripped up their initial deal with ESPN and announced a new seven-year deal, massive deal. Uh, not just with ESPN, but also with ESPN Plus, their streaming app. So it's um, boxing's never been bigger. I mean, it's really, truly a global sport right now. Um, Frank Warren's back in the game with uh, Tyson Fury. And it's um it's great it's great to see it, ma- it makes everything competitive it's good for the boxers it's good for the fans and um it is a, it is a unique situation I suppose with Joshua he does still hold the most of the cards like I say he's got three of the four belts but um you know he's not the only one Wilder is does have that WBC uh, WBC title <clears throat> Tyson Fury huge profile massive character. I would say the most skillful, certainly the most naturally gifted out of all the heavyweights, um, and comes back and puts on a performance like that. 
you know, and I think won won everyone over, even his biggest critics had to admire what that man has come back from, you know, from gaining seven or eight stone, the, the, the addiction issues, and to come back and put on a performance like that, I think, I mean, he just won everyone over. And um, it is interesting because you think, well, Dillian White was like the Eddie's kind of plan B. It was almost like, well, I'm going to the negotiation table here, but it's great to have that alternative there because it puts me in a strong position. When I'm arguing, if I'm th- threatening to walk away from a deal, if it, if it doesn't go how I want, I can't just bluff it in case they call him a bluff. But if I've got Dillian White there, then I'm not bluffing it. I can make the Dillian White fight. But Dillian's obviously thinking, well, I know what my worth is. Or he, he, he sees that as well and thinks, well, I'm pretty important here. You know, he doesn't fight Wilder and he's thinking he's got to fight me. Well, I'm not going to sell myself cheap. I, I'm worth X amount. So, you know, then, then we're back to the Gerald Miller fight. So <clears throat> right now that's fine. Because he hasn't boxed in America. He probably does at some point as the heavyweight champion, just like Lennox Lewis did. Wants to go over to America, wants to headline there at Madison Square Garden, fight prime time on US TV. I'm sure DeZone are thrilled about that. Uh, And I think for the first time, it will really work. But after he beats Gerald Miller, assuming he beats Gerald Miller, who does he fight next? You know, because that's another one gone now. And you've done the New York end of things. But now who do you fight next? You know, Wilder, Fury, Dillian White, you know, are you, you going to fight Luis Ortiz? You know, you, you're running out of opponents now, of people that you haven't fought. So all of a sudden, yeah, he does. He's the queen on the chessboard. But, you know, maybe two castles are just going to go against each other instead. You know, you know, in, in, is it, for example, Tyson Fury and um, Tyson Fury and, sorry, Deontay Wilder. And, and you get to a point where maybe people are cutting off their nose to spite their face a little bit. But I think that can happen a little bit when it comes to negotiation and you think, well, I'm fi- I feel I'm worth this. And someone's trying to kind of, you know, hardball you and lowball you and not, not give it and just kind of play the waiting game and leave you out there to dry a little bit. You think, well, do you know what? I'll, we'll fight each other instead. You know, maybe we're not going to get as much, but it, it's like a pride and an ego thing, isn't it? And, um, you know, I think that's what's happened there a little bit. But, you know, as things have worked out for AJ, it hasn't worked out too badly. I think the, um, I think Eddie will be happy enough to go to Madison Square Garden, to go to primetime US TV with the zone. I think it works. I think he still does big numbers on Sky Pay-Per-View, Joshua, even at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, Hatton Mayweather, I mean, I know that was a huge fight. They were both undefeated. But, you know, Joshua's got great momentum. He's a heavyweight. I think he'll still do massive buys the first time around at least. Uh, Gerald Miller, very much a New York brash trash talker. So um, I think it definitely works this time. But I think assuming Joshua wins this fight against Gerald Miller, it's still going to come back to the situation, right? Well, you're going to fight Fury, Wilder or Dillian White and they're going to want X amount. And it's going to be, you know, interesting to watch and see how it all plays out. Hey, 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 kids. Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go!
Well, one aspect of it as well is the fact that when when you, um, particularly with the unification, with, with the biggest fights, basically, you get to a, a situation where they just have to work it out between them because if there's no mandatory involved, then there's nobody there able to make anything happen. Because in unification, you can't, one governing body can't say to another, well, you must fight another governing body's champion. So that 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 makes things more difficult. And that leads on to another thing we were going to talk about, which is which is the mandatories, because people have been talking about this a lot. At the, at the end of last week, um, after it emerged that Richard Comey has damaged his hand when he won that IBF title, he's not going to be able to try and unify against Vasil Lomachenko. They had an April the 12th date, I think, penciled in for that, but it's not going to happen. And Kroller now should fight Lomachenko next because he's Lomachenko's mandatory. I only say should because Lomachenko could vacate. But that's the only way that that fight won't happen. And people seem to be very upset about this fight. Some people, not not by all means everybody, that, oh, he's never going to beat Lomachenko. He's not good enough to fight Lomachenko. It's a mismatch and all the rest of it. But he's mandatory. And that means that whatever we think about that fight, it's going to happen. And we've got another scenario coming up soon enough. Anthony Yard's number one with the WBO at light heavyweight. People can debate all they want, whether he should be or not, but he is. And he'll be mandatory soon enough. Gilberto Ramirez might step up from super middle and that can complicate things. But soon enough, he will get he will get his shot unless he gets beaten in the meantime. And, and I can't see that. And the whole debate will ignite again over over that one. But... I think what people would find interesting is that the, the, the art to this is with the promoters. Kroll is a, a recent WBA champion. I've got no problem with him being, being a mandatory position. But it's manoeuvring, isn't it? The, the, there's a plan here. Like Frank Warren's plan is not to get Anthony Yards number one with the WBO, get him a half-decent payday and beaten up by Sergei Kovlev. That is not the plan. No, Frank Warren has always been very strong with the WBO. He's a personal friend of Paco Um who is the WBO. Uh, he's um, always spent a lot of money with them. He lobbies hard with them. He uses them, does WBO European title fights, WBO Intercontinental, uh, International. You know, he's always paying a lot of sanctioning fees. So not not in a, a corrupt sense or anything like that at all, but, but he's strong. It's just a game, isn't it's it? It's just a game. He spends a lot of money with them. He pays an awful convention. lot of sanctioning fees. He goes to the convention. He plays the game, you know, he, he lobbies hard, he works hard, he spends a lot of money with the WBO. So when it comes to the rank, they have their meetings and the conventions and they sit down and they're doing their rankings, he has strong influence there. And, you know, if you're with Frank Warren, at some point and you keep winning and you, you're, you're likely to go the WBO route, it'll be the international title, the intercontinental, and at some point he will get you into that mandatory position so long as you keep winning. We've seen it many times over the years. Um, Gary Lockett fought Kelly Pavlik. Michael Jennings fought Miguel Cotto. Now, there's there's a couple of ways of looking at it, I suppose. Um, Frank probably would ideally get you to a position, if it's against a, a particularly good world champion who's a marquee name in America and is looking for super fights, he'll probably just lobby and lobby and lobby. And eventually, when the time comes, get get the champion stripped or the champion vacates that title if he's a unified champion he maybe vacates the WBO version and then he would look to push his fighter who was the mandatory to fight for the vacant title well, it's really interesting you say that because I was listening to Tris Dixon's uh, podcast this morning his boxing life stories and it's terrific I always listen to it and we're, we're always going to give credit to a to um to uh 
fellow uh, practitioners, and Trish's is great. And and it was with Gary Lockett, and Gary was saying, yes, yeah, so I was I got to number one, and I was mandatory for Pavlik. And he said, but basically what we thought would happen is that Pavlik wouldn't want to fight me. He'd vacate. Um, it'd be for a vacant title. Frank would then do what he does, which is spend the money, get me the fight at home, um, and uh, I'd have a good chance of winning. And he said, when the phone went, and I was told that I got Kelly Pavlik, I was like, oh, like, this really wasn't... The plan, but they, the people, I think they don't give they don't give promoters enough credit. Sometimes they're thinking a few steps ahead, always. Oh, uh, Frank, Frank Warren's thinking three, four, five years ahead. You know, it, when he signs a fight, he's thinking, right, I'm going to get him to ten and 0, 16 and 0. Then I'm hoping they'll be ready for a British title by the end of year three. Wins that, I'll get him to WBO Intercontinental, move him up into international, get him a top ten ranking. Um, you know, then I'll just pick the right fights while he's learning, developing, progressing. And at some point, I'll get him to the, the number one spot, get him mandatory. If it's the champion and we fancy it, we'll push really hard. If not, or he's a marquee name and he's not going to entertain the fight because he's a pay-per-view star and he's only looking for super fights, we'll have to sit patiently, keep him learning, keep him improving, keep him earning, keep him uh, building his profile, his, uh, his star status. And at some point, when the title becomes vacant... I'm going to put in a big purse bid and I'll try and get the shot here and, you know, really try and stack it in my fighters, um, you know, his favour. He's going to do everything he can to to, to put, um, to give him every opportunity to win in that world title. And then when he wins the world title, if he wins the world title, you know, he's still got an element of, an element of control on, you know, picking X amount of voluntaries, you know, who, who the mandatory is. And it's, it's, um, it's an art form, really. And Eddie does the same. We say WBO with Frank because Frank's always gone the WBO route, really. I mean, there has been exceptions to that. Ricky Hatton for um, Miguel, uh, sorry, Costa Sue for the IBF title. Uh, he got the, I think he did the final eliminate against Mike Stewart. And he got that in Manchester. But like, generally, he goes the WBO route. You see it with, with Anthony Yard now. We've seen it uh, with Michael Jennings um, against Miguel Cotto. Uh, Kelly Pavlik with Gary Lockett. And like you, you kind of touched on it there, Andy, they didn't expect that to happen. The only thing sometimes that what happens is when when it doesn't work out that he gets for a vacant title. For example, Nathan Cleverly fought for the vacant title. But when it doesn't happen and you end up being Gary Lockett, who's fighting, used to fighting at sort of seven o'clock on a Joe Calzaghe undercard, and there's probably four or five fights after him before the main event. And then all of a sudden he's fighting Kelly Pavlik He's in Atlantic City. It's sold out. He's boxing one of the pound-for-pound pound superstars in boxing. And it can be a little bit much. And a lot of the time, and it, it certainly seemed to be the case with Kelly Pavlik, he was out of his depth. And well, he, he admits it. He's, he said himself that he was just too good for it, me. And, and Pavlik was absolutely flying at the time. Lockett was was a, a perfectly good fighter, a powerful fighter, had a good shot on him. Pavlik was was respectful of him when, when he was talking to the press in, in the build-up to the fight. But... But, but as even we said, the occasion, just, and the, even, yeah. even the, they're even out of their depth with the occasion. Like I said, they've gone from boxing, you know, three or four down on the card where it's a half-empty arena and all of a sudden you're on the biggest of stages in America against, like you say, a, a fighter that's really kind of, you know, going well at the time. He's really in his, in his, in his prime. He's a huge star. And it, it can be overwhelming fighters that, that, that they've beaten before they win to the ring. And I think that's a reason as well why it's no coincidence that you mentioned how... Um, Frank Warren with, with the WBO has manoeuvred fighters into position and then he's been happy for it to be a slow burn. He's been in no rush and it's no coincidence that that is exactly the right thing to do with Anthony Yard because he's 
he's a fascinating subject because people look at he had very little amateur background and he's had 16 17 fights and he's won them all and he's looked good but because of this ranking everyone's demanding that he must step up when he probably really isn't ready so taking it slow with him is the right way to play it it, it just is the right way to play it yeah without a doubt i mean i, I remember when ricky hatton fought costa suit was 2005 and i remember being in los angeles in 2001 uh, a few weeks before my pro debut, Frank Warren flew me out there and I was sparring with Roman Karmazan, who was the mandatory challenger uh, at the time to fight Oscar De La Hoya and he was training for the fight. And the way it played out, De La Hoya injured his wrist and we, we came home early and then you know I had my pro debut. But we were out there and it was actually the weekend of the Costa Sue-Zab Judah fight, the first fight when uh, Costa Sue knocked him, you know, stopped him in the second round when he got up and fell back down. But I remember at that time, Frank Maloney, who was in Los Angeles with me, who was my co-manager at the time with Frank Warren, he was working for Frank Warren. He flew into he flew from LA to Vegas to meet up with Ricky Hatton and Billy Graham. And they were out there kind of, you know, attaching themselves to Costa Sue, thinking, you know, this is a fight we want, you know, down the line. That was 2001. You know, it happened in 2005. And, you know, in 2005, he beat him in a grueling fight. He didn't come out for the last round. You know, it was Ricky Hatton was, what, 25, 26 in his prime physically. Costa Sue had had three fights in four years. You know, if it had happened when they were banging the drum for it to happen, uh, Ricky Hatton wouldn't have beaten Costa Sue. You know, it's timing. And Frank would have, you know, things take time. They take time for the fights to be built so they're a huge, at their, um, you know, from a monetary point of view, it takes time for them to be built in that sense. But it also, it takes time for a fighter to develop his full potential or, or get to a place where he's ready or he's giving himself the best chance. Now, if Ricky Hatton had fought Costa Sue in 2002, there's no way he would have beaten him. He beat him in 2005, but he, you know, he really pushed him. He, um, he broke his heart, really. You know, he was too fresh for him. He set a hellacious pace. He wanted it so bad. It was four o'clock in the morning in Manchester. 22,000 people willing him on every punch. It was it was probably the pinnacle of Ricky's career, you know, and he beat who at the time, Costa Sue, was probably considered a pound-for-pound pound top three fighter. And it was, um, you know, but it was his last fight. He was 36 years old. He'd had three fights in four years. You know, he, Frank did his job, absolutely, for, for Ricky Hatton. You know, he really worked hard, got it at the right time, and, and the stars aligned, and Ricky Hatton put, and not just aligned, Ricky Hatton was a serious world-class fighter, as he proved time and time after that, but he, he, he produced a special performance that night, but it was, it was his time, you know, if it had happened a few years earlier when all the experts and everyone wants it, you know, it, it probably wouldn't have happened for him, but, you know, there's reason why promoters and managers, they, they're good at what they do, you know, they know what they're doing, that, you know, and the thing is, you've got so many different um, forces and people and everyone wants their say and everyone's pushing for it. Like TV networks are impatient. They want it now. Fans, spectators, they're impatient. They want it now. They want, you know, they'd have Joshua fighting Fury, Wilder, do a rematch with Fury, do another rematch with Wilder. He'd be, he'd be dead before he's 30. You know what I mean? You'd be killed. These, these fights, you know, they take time to be built as big as they can. And fighters, take time to be developed into the best fighters they can be. And But we started it with Crawler and, and, and he's different because he is more established than Yard. But people have pointed out to me that, you know, there's fighters like Robert Easter in that, uh, the top of those, towards the top of those WBA rankings. Why didn't they get a final eliminator? Why didn't Rantis Bothemily get a, uh, a final eliminator? Well, because their promoter didn't get them one. It's as simple as that. 
Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, I suppose the thing with Yard, look, I think Yard definitely um, needs time to develop. He had a minimal amateur experience. Um, I don't know how good I think Yard is just yet. It definitely something there. He's definitely got talent. He's uh, got power, speed, all those things. There's certainly good raw materials. Um, difficult to say how good he is because the, the level of opposition he's been beating and looking good against, you'd expect him to. You know, Boatze, on the other hand, who's only fought probably a similar level of opposition, has that amateur pedigree. Now, the amateur pedigree means something because it means he's consistently, for so many years, fought the best of the best of the best and consistently performed well against them. You know, so he's proven that, albeit over three rounds, his skills, his speed, that they're exceptional. You know, he rises above and he wins. So, um, you know, Yard has looked really good against a certain level. Like I say, at the pro, Boatze the same. But we know that Boatze's got that amateur pedigree. So, you know, I think, you know, Frank Warren's probably looking at Yard thinking, I'm in no rush here. You know, I've got him to the mandatory position. He's not fighting Kovalev. That fight's not going to happen. I don't want it to happen. But I've got him in the mandatory position. And when the time is right, you know, we can, I can kind of force that issue. So I'd imagine that he's right now happy where Yard's at. They're trying to step him up in opposition because you don't want to go from fighting you know, CD level opposition to fight in Kovalev, you know, it's too, too big of a gap, you know, the, the level opposition, you've got to kind of close that gap a little bit. So they're probably looking at that. Kruller is a completely different situation, I believe, because Kruller is a former world champion. You know, he got there on merit, you know, he had two great fights with Linares. You know, he, he's probably as qualified as anyone else in the top 10. You know, to fight Lomachenko. I mean, who I would is, say so. Who I would is, say so. Who is going to beat Lomachenko? You know, well, who, this is, is another aspect to it. If you're going to criticise mandatories and and say that Lomachenko shouldn't be allowed to fight this mandatory challenger, if you're going to say that Lomachenko can only take a fight against someone who's got a good chance of beating him, then he, how often is he going to fight? He would have had about two fights by now. Exactly. I mean, you know, I think if you're a, if you're a genuine top ten guy, and I don't mean, you know, Yard's been. Frank's pushed hard there and got Yard into the mandatory position with WBO, but he probably, and I don't know, I don't even know where he is with the other sanctioning bodies. But generally, if you've got a guy who's kind of top four or five with all the sanctioning bodies, the the likelihood is he's there on merit. And you know, I believe that Kruller is a genuine, proven top ten guy. He's a former world champion, and why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't? Uh, Lamachenko, why wouldn't he take that fight? Why wouldn't he want to test himself against the best, best pound for pound fighter in the world? And from Lamachenko's point of view, he doesn't want to sit idle just waiting for super fights, you know, because boxing politics, who, who knows when his next fight would be if that was the case. So I think he, what he's doing, what Top Rank are doing with him, they're keeping him busy, they're staying active. He's he's starting to cross over now to the non hardcore boxing fans. I think he boxed in Madison Square Garden uh, in the big room. So, you know, they are trying to push. Lamachenko now. So I think the, the Kralla fight makes a lot of sense. Well, best of luck to both of them if and when it happens. Uh, Anthony Kralla's fight against Lomachenko will happen unless Lomachenko vacates. And Anthony Yard, when his time comes, then the very best of luck to him too. One thing that slightly kind of saddens me a bit is that when a young athlete like him gets to the level he's at, people start to level criticism. And it's almost like some people want to see him beaten and want to see him thrown in over his head and out of his depth. But as Matt's outlined, that is not the plan. 
On to another mandatory, uh, which we'll take a slightly different tack with, and that's Josh Warrington against Kid Galahad. So that fight's going to happen because Galahad is Warrington's mandatory for the IBF featherweight title. Now, Warrington last week had some some fairly um, direct things to say about Galahad, said that he's never really shown any remorse for failing his, his drug test. Galahad, of course, did fail one earlier in his career, had a two-year ban, then reduced to 18 months, but he served it out and he's back and he is absolutely entitled to box and there have been no problem since then. So there is no issue in that regard. But Warrington also described him as a, as a disgrace to the sport. And without getting into Galahad's individual case or without getting into any individual cases, because we'd have to be careful what we say here, you were a clean fighter. Most fighters are clean. The only way you can really prove that is if you haven't actually tested positive. What is the attitude of clean fighters towards fighters who have tested positive, like Galahad? Because Galahad seems to me to be a good example of someone who has not been forgiven and who won't be forgiven. Do they ever get forgiven by clean athletes? Um, probably not. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to cheat in any sport, I suppose, or to, to take performance enhances drugs if you're running the 100 metres. But in boxing where people die regardless of drugs or performance enhancing drugs, people die anyway. It's a, it's a dangerous sport. People are getting punched in the head. There's fatalities and, and, and people getting brain damaged, etc. So to, to, you know, pain is there to protect us. Exhaustion is there to protect us. When you take substances that can ha- push you beyond that, you're not only endangering yourself, but you, you, you're really, you're a danger to the person you're fighting a lot more so than you would be normally. And it's, um, I, I, I've no uh, time for it at all, and, and I think most most fighters would, would share that sentiment. You know, Paulie Malanagi has been very outspoken about it for a long, long time. You know, um, back in 2010, when I think was probably when this stuff really blew up, it was probably because Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather, who were the two biggest stars in boxing at that time, everyone was calling for the fight, and Manny and Mayweather wouldn't do the fight unless Manny Pacquiao um, enrolled on. Olympic style testing, but you know, and that kind of highlighted everything up really. And all of a sudden, and since then, really, it's been an issue, hasn't it? There's been lots of talk about it. And the, back to the kid, Galahad won. Warrington, I don't, I don't blame him really for what he said. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it about kid Galahad, but I, I couldn't really say that Warrington was out of order. So, in in terms of your own career. From the outside looking in, it's difficult to know what the scale of the problem is. Were you ever offered anything or were you ever put under any pressure to take something that you knew was on the banned list? No, never. Never never had that conversation with anyone. No one ever pushed anything my way or suggested it or even insinuated it or anything like that. Um, and I and, and never seen anyone or heard of anyone doing it. But at the same time, you know, there was there, there were certain people thought certain things of certain people you know I don't want to say who they were no let's not (laughs) you know but there was there was certainly a feeling in boxing that certain people were using stuff as an athlete that must be very difficult to kind of reconcile yourself with not that you can ever reconcile yourself with the fact that that it's even going on but that you might get in the ring at some point or for financial reasons at some stage or because there's a title on the line feel compelled to enter a contest, as you said, in a very dangerous sport where the level, where the playing field is not level. I mean, 
that must have happened a number of times down the years to a number of fighters. I don't think it's. It, I don't think it ever happened to you that you 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 took a fight against someone who had previously tested positive or who subsequently did. But this will have happened to a lot of people. It must be very difficult mentally to to get your head around I, it. I think that would be a very tough, bitter pill to swallow. You know, it's um, everyone's got their. Like I say, people have got feelings. Who they feel uh, are using stuff or on stuff, and and some of them are more obvious than others. Um, although you know. You can't say it if it's not proven, but I would imagine that if someone that you fought that beat you actually did test positive afterwards, I'd find that quite, you know, that'd be difficult. Well, to look take. at David Price. Look at what's happened to David Price. And, yeah. and, and it, I find it extraordinary because people don't seem to really accept it as being any kind of a reason for, for, for those defeats against Tony Thompson, against Urkan Tepper. You know, people just almost brush it under the carpet and he's been uh, he's been terribly mistreated really but somehow um, people seem to just try and want to point out other weaknesses he may have in his in his makeup but the, the simple fact of the matter is is that he was entering a ring and the and the conditions weren't just weren't fair but w- with regard to is it well known would you say in the UK and in America for fighters who travel around different gyms are conversations had between fighters about who's on and who's not Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's the I mean there's there's a few that People have definitely said, look, he, he's definitely on stuff. And, and usually you see it in someone who particularly, say, in the latter end of their career, suddenly have a spike in performance. Suddenly they're performing better than they were at 25. And, of course, you know, you, you gain experience, you become craftier. But when you're more energetic in your mid-30s than you were in your mid-20s, you know, alarm alarm bells are ringing you know it doesn't it doesn't seem right or you know a guy jumps up three or two or three weight divisions and is still knocking guys senseless you know they're carrying that power through you know it, it, it makes you think it raises eyebrows you can't say it and you don't know but you do think hmm I'm not sure I remember going to a, a Southern Area Council seminar a couple of years ago and there was a representative from UCAD there and they were laying it all on the line for the for the fighters and managers who came along exactly how things were going to were going to work. I mean, one of the problems is, is that it's not totally centralised. Uh, I think that was a uh, an accident caused by one of Mrs. Macklin's dogs. Just uh, anyway, this, this this is our studio for the minute, and it's uh, it'll, it'll do absolutely fine. Um, but what really struck me about it was that the responsibility on the athletes, on the boxers and on their teams to make sure that nothing is missed and everything is checked and nothing can go wrong wherever you are in the world is huge now because we're talking about athletes being forgiven earlier on, but there are there are grades of this, aren't there? And previously, if a governing body decided that they believed you when you took something unknowingly over the counter, 
that would carry a lesser sentence. But we, we have to get to a point, surely, where I'm afraid that's just not good enough. Well, I mean, and this is going back a few years, but I know that, I, I mean, when you're training for a fight, if you get run down or anything like that, I was so paranoid of taking anything because, you know, I'd be, I'd be Googling and ringing up uh, my manager and I'd be checking, are you sure? And he'd be Googling and finding out that there was nothing in this, uh, you know, I needed something for a chest infection or a cold or whatever. I can't take certain things because there's something in it that's on the banned substance list. So, you know, I would, I would, I would check that because I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anything into my body, into my system, into my mouth before I knew that I was okay to take it. And, you know, there's, if you're real, you're real. There are things, you know, you're, if you have to go to the doctors, but you know, there's, there's forms you have to fill out. You can't kind of retrospectively say, oh, well, I was sick. So I took such and such a thing. Go to the doctors first, get a doctor's note. It's prescribed for you because you were sick. This is what they gave you. That's what's in it. Then it's, there's, I think there's a form, I can't remember what it's called. Um, to, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, there's, there's a particular form that you have to fill out, you know, which gives, which gives you clearance for taking certain medicines and stuff because, you know, the re- it otherwise would be just far too much of great. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. Ignorance really isn't a defense because we know that you can't just take anything. You can't just go to the chemist and buy anything over the counter. I wouldn't take anything without checking it. And I can't imagine that any fighter performing to any level in this day and age doesn't know that. And actually, in Britain, it's probably the best, strictest, safest commission there is in world boxing. You know, here, fighters can get random uh, drug tests, blood tests. They just knock on your door early in the morning, urine test and blood test. I don't know anywhere else in the world where any other commission does that. You know, and even when it comes to the, the the boxing medicals, they're probably the strictest. But you know, the the upside of that is that they're the safest. It must just be an absolutely crippling moment in a in a fighter's career, though, when they get that telephone call and they're told that they've that they've tested positive for something if they genuinely haven't been intentionally cheating. I mean, I was listening again to to Enzo Macaronelli talking about the positive test he had, and it, it's just, you know his whole world just kind of came crashing around him and, and, and all he cared about from that point onwards was just proving his, his, his innocence, which he did. And given his reputation, nobody, I don't think, thought that uh, for a second that there was anything in it with him. And reputation does does count, doesn't it? The, the way you operate and the way people uh, feel that you are as a person. But as I said, at some point, um, it's probably all just going to have to come under the same heading as fail. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because where do you draw the line? And it's difficult. Like I say, I, I really don't believe that Enzo Macronelli was looking for an unfair advantage at all. Um, but but I know Enzo very well. Um, Canelo Golovkin was the most, probably one of the most recent, certainly the most recent high profile one. And, you know, I never would have liked to have thought that Canelo did do that. But who knows, you know, and it certainly does leave a question mark and a bit of a stain against his name now he's 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 back boxing and everything again but you know there's a lot of people out there that you, you can hear them saying oh come on he must have known that the most highest paid athlete in the world doesn't have doesn't know what's on the banned substance list and wouldn't have known that uh meats in mexico had been contaminated you, you, you hear that and i'm i'm not saying that by the way but people you know people have said that to me Ca- casual fans have said you know what do you think to that and i think you do <laughs> 
there's all sorts of things that need to be taken into account. I, I, I was told a story a little while ago about uh, a fighter who shall remain nameless who was uh, in, a, in a big fight. Um, when they arrived uh, in the country that they were fighting in, there was a, a gift package um, in their room, water, some supplements, some snacks, etc., etc. Didn't touch it, took it home, out of curiosity tested it, lit up like a Christmas tree. And there are other promoters who've told me there are certain countries in the world where they just point blank would not let their fighter take a drug test after a fight, particularly if they'd won. So there are, you know, there are, there are, there can be some dark forces at play. Yeah, I mean, I never, I never thought it was an issue over here uh, in, in in the UK, but I did uh, certainly a good few years back, kind of 2010, 11, I trained for several fights out in America and I definitely thought it was starting to creep in there. Well, it's, I was going to say it's the kind of thing we could talk about all day, but it's not actually. You, you need to bring these discussions to a close before you get yourself into real trouble. And, <laughs> and uh, that's a good thing about recording a program is that these things can't, well, they can slip out, but then you can, uh, you can go and remove them. Um, so we'll leave that one there. Um, and I think that's actually probably a pretty good place just to bring this first one to a close. In, in, uh, in coming weeks, we'll be looking to, to drag in some guests, uh, particularly when we're on the road. Um, we do most of our work for Sky, as, as, as everybody will know, but we're going to be trying to cover, well, not trying to, we will cover any issue that, that we find interesting, which is exactly, uh, exactly what we've, we've got into today. Um, we're not entirely sure, Matt, really, are we? We must be honest as to exactly how often we're going to be able to do this at the moment. So in terms of all the protocol of it, it'll drop at the same time on the same day and all the rest of it, I'm not too sure about that. We're kind of, you know, we're learning as we go along a bit. Yeah, just see how we go. Like I say, there's so many uh, topics that we'd like to discuss um, and we'll just kind of go with what's topical at the time. I think, uh, you know, because there are so many people out there that think it's this way or that way and why isn't this fight happening or what's going on there? And it is good to kind of discuss in more detail and go into things a little bit more and explain them to the the, the people that probably don't really know how things work. And um I mean, for the fans, the fans, they, they want to know, well, why is this fight not happening? What's the situation there? And we're like, well, look, he's got a mandatory obligation and that TV network won't sanction it and blah, blah, blah. So it is it is good if we can put a bit more meat on the bone. But like you say, we're both busy with Sky. We're a bit all over the place. So we'll just have to see, I don't know, even when the time comes that we can do the next one. Okay, so we'll we'll try and take your questions as well in, in weeks to come. If this proves popular enough and people want to send them into either myself or Matt, then then if you raise something that we think you know be worth talking about, we'll definitely do that. And feel free to give a, to give us feedback. I'm 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 opening a, a potential can of worms there. Try and be kind. I think would be well, not necessarily kind. Just try and be constructive. Try and say something useful, intelligent. Um, yeah, just try just try that. Just try uh, uh, that that is the way to try and improve the standard. If you feel that this has started at a low level and we need to raise it, then if you could point out the error of our ways as you see them in a, in a constructive fashion, that would, be, that would be good. So yeah, hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back um, and we'll give you due warning uh, for next time. But um, in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Yep. Cheers. Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.